Let me just eliminate all of the white noise for They're you. They're counting on you not understanding what this is all about. They want to create conflict. They want to create this chaos. They want you to be stupid. This is the Conservative Daily Podcast with Joe Waldman. Yeah, I'm a threat because I'm telling you what the Constitution says. And Max McGuire. The flak is the heaviest when the bomber is right above the target about to open the bomb bay doors. And now the Conservative Daily Podcast is on the air. Welcome back to another edition of the Conservative Daily Podcast. My name is Max McGuire. And my name is Joe Altman. Big day today. We were going to originally cover the House oversight hearing on Maricopa County's audit. But we said, how about instead of doing that, we just bring the head of Maricopa's Maricopa County audit, the CEO of Cyber Ninjas, Doug Logan. We'll bring him here. So that's what we did. And and this is a, this is a special treat for for a lot of reasons. One of which is um, I, I will tell you that Doug is probably, and I'll say this with to you, Doug. You are I, I said it in a text message that I sent you that you are truly one of the people that I thought was one of the great guys um, in this country, this fight for this country. And and I said it in such a bad way before. We'll get into that, right? Um, but uh, and you handled it with grace. And so I just. I mean, I'll, I'll start this, this conversation by thanking you for your commitment, um, thanking you for your, your faithfulness, and thank you for your, for your courage in standing up. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's, it's great to be here. <laughs> so I, I want to uh, start by, by giving people an overview. I, obviously, they know that you're the CEO of Cyber Ninjas. Obviously, you've, you've done the audit in Arizona, but can you tell everyone a little bit about you? You have just a, a couple, chil- one, two, two children. <laughs> so, yeah, I've, I've got 11 kids. My wife's pregnant with her 12th. She's due in the middle of November. Um, my, my faith is really important to me. Um, it's, it's why I do what I do every single day. Um, I run what used to be a pretty small application security company based out of Sarasota, Florida. Um, we help developers create secure code. A lot of that is with ethical hacking. Um, try to run my business as a ministry. I don't know if you have, you ever heard of C12 before Joe? I have. Okay. So I'm a member of C12. It's something that's really important to me. It's, it's, you know, to, to use our, my business in a manner to glorify God. So, and, and we talked about that several months before even the audit started. Um, which I thought was amazing. And so just seeing that you were going to be the one heading up the Arizona audit gave me a lot of comfort because I knew that from an integrity standpoint, that's something I'd never have to worry about. I'd never have to worry about you becoming compromised. And so speaking of of compromise, I sent you, um, because I was kind of an idiot, um, and I want to kind of preface this because I said, I said that on the, on the podcast, I, I came on on Friday, I was pretty upset. Um, that Saturday I was stewing and I sent you a text message. Do you remember that text message I sent you? Oh, yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm trying to make sure that I can get it over to, to these guys. I sent it over before and it said it wasn't sending, but I sent you a text message and I'm going to, I'm going to read it and, uh, and then I'll, I'll read your response. I think it's probably the best way to do it. I said, Doug, I thought you were one of the truly good guys. I thought you were one of the courageous ones. Turns out, apparently, that is not the case. You had an opportunity to tell the full truth, yet much like the stories of Peter, you denied the people the full weight of the truth that then lied about it. 
all of our fear of reprisal from evil people. I think you need to ask yourself whose side you're on. At this point, I'm not as disappointed at you betraying those fighting hard for truth as I am spitting on the graves of the men who fought and died to preserve this country. I don't know what God you serve, but the one I serve says to have courage and trust in him. How can you justify lying is beyond me, but nothing surprises me anymore. The truth is the truth no matter where it leads you. Your kids won't care about bringing home the bread when you actively can't stand up and protect them from evil and tyranny. There is a saying I live my life by, every man dies, but not every man, not many men live. Um, It's hard for me to read that. And the reason why I'm reading it to you is because uh, you responded with, with grace. Like you could have fired back at me at this point. I wouldn't have blamed you. Um, (laughs) Your message hit me pretty hard, honestly. (laughs) So, and, and so I, I sent you that and you said, it sounds like you're speaking from misinformation, happy to talk with you, but what you're saying is untrue. It's easy to fire and text off insulting someone with all the lies told about you. I would have thought that you of anyone would have at least talked with me before forming an opinion. Matthew 18 is there for a reason. So we went back and forth and, and, uh, and I said that I was the one that shared the draft and I got attacked pretty heavily in, and uh, so I went back and forth, and then you just picked up the phone and you called me. And I looked at the phone, and I was like, I can't believe he's calling me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then we talked. And at the end of that, um, I apologized to you. So I'm going to apologize to you again right now. Um, and I, I never, you know, I've, I've never been so impacted by the, I think we talked for like an hour and a half. I've never been so impacted by the conversation that we had because of how authentic you were. And, um, and I was like, everyone needs to hear this. Everyone needs to hear what you have to say. And so I said, I, I would love you to just be able to talk about it. I would love you to be able to talk about it the same way that you talk to me about it. Right. And, um, so I'm going to just let you talk and then, you know, I'll ask a couple questions, but I, I want you to tell me your perception on, on the, on the audit. I mean, it was, who was working against us? Who was, what were you seeing? What floor is yours? <laughs> Very open-ended question. Um, you know, I, I, I'm constantly reminded, and I really think this is really true for our country, um, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Um, and that, everything that we do as we're combating and as we're fighting this battle, we have to keep in mind um, that it's a spiritual battle and it's prayer that that carves the way for us, um, that allows us to succeed. And it's through turning away from our wicked ways and and following Christ um, that that our country is gonna be saved. It's it's not, I mean, legislation will help Um, righteousness, you know, will help changes in the way things run will help. But the only way that we're going to save our country is if they return to God, Um, that that is absolutely the only way. And specifically, I'm I'm sure that this verse has been thrown out by people all the time. Um, I think second Chronicles 714, you know, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. And I've heard that a hundred times. 
uh, if not more. Um, it's one of those scriptures that I've brought to mind throughout this entire process, but probably I think the one thing that just hit me about a week ago is the, the statement that says, if my people, we're not talking about the people who aren't following Christ. We aren't talking about people that aren't following God. If the church will humble themselves and pray and turn away from the things they're doing that's wrong, then God promises that he will heal our land and he will heal our nation. And I, I mean, for, to me, that that's everything. I really feel like this entire audit, I was, I was carried by prayer. Um, it, it was interesting when all the stuff started happening in Afghanistan, because um, I, I think as my pastor mentioned it, there's, there's uh, a limited number of serious prayer warriors in our country. And so as Afghanistan happened, the focus changed, you know, you could feel the, you know, an atmosphere shift and a change you know, it was going on and things, you know, things in many ways, you know, got more difficult. I mean, there, there were so many battles and all this, and I don't even, I don't even know where to start. I mean, I, it's like, got to start, start with God, but <laughs> what do you want to, what do you want to know, Joe? What, what can I jump into in more detail? There's just, I mean, five months of the most difficult um, thing I've ever done. I've ever accomplished. Um, every single day I was on my knees and praying many days in tears, you know, um, just, just calling out to God to help with the many impossible things, and you know, the impossible things ran, range from operational things to we need to get things done faster, to all sorts of disagreements. We had disagreements on people supporting us. We had um, different types of sin that that were happened among leadership, and having to deal with that in a godly manner, and to really, you know, to trust that God didn't take us this far to leave us in the middle. Like, as I kept reminding people, you know, when, when the Lord bothers to part the seas and you see the walls of water up on their edge, they're not gonna come crashing down on you. He's created a pathway forward. And so if he's taken us this far, if he's organized us this far, then there's a purpose and there's a mission in it. And we just have to walk forward one step at a time and eventually we'll get on the other side of the water. Um, so, Can I ask you a quick question, Doug? Um, yeah. How did you get involved with the audit? Because you mentioned that you run a relatively small cybersecurity outfit in Florida. How did you get involved in this? Because I don't think anyone's really reported that. They just said, oh, Cyber Ninjas. And people are like, oh, that's a silly name to be running the audit. How did you, that's like the extent of how you got involved that's been reported in the media. How did you get involved? Did you just bid and they accepted the bid? How did that happen? You know, that's, I'm going to step back a little bit farther to when the election happened. So when the election happened, I mean, as you, you guys are very aware, there was a lot of anomalies associated with the way the numbers came in, what was happening. It didn't make logical sense. Um, it looked like there was potentially something in the voting machines, like the computationally had been changes. Um, it did like, it just didn't make a sense. And I was talking with a good friend of mine, um, about it, and we were sending articles back and forth as we tried to drill into it. As the mainstream media wasn't covering it at all, Fox News had done that little shift. They were no longer covering conservative stuff for a bit, and so it was really hard to get this information. And she called me up, um, and and she said, "Hey, Doug, if I can figure out who's working on this issue, will you go take a look at it? I trust you. You're a cybersecurity expert. I'm confident you can get to the bottom of it." And me, I said, "Sure. What will this take? A week or two?" You know, no problem. You know, you find out who's working on it. I don't even know if you'll find out who's working on it, and uh, in it, and I'll go and I'll, I'll look at it. So that was that was about November seventh. Um, 
and she called me up about a week later and said, I found out who's working on this problem. Um, there's a group of people all meeting together um, in South Carolina. Here's the guy's contact information. You know, why don't you go meet up with them? And I left my house on November 14th and I pretty much didn't come home until Christmas Eve. Um, and we were actively working on responding to all the details and all of the patriots are reporting all these strange behaviors they had you know, all these things that they saw from their own um, and observed. And we're trying to get um, agreement to, to allow us to forensically image these machines and start drilling into them. Um, and, and literally, I drove all around Georgia. <laughs> you know, we, we got permission here. Let's go. We get there. Permission was withdrawn. We didn't actually have access to do so. Um, and we did that, you know, a decent amount around the country. Um, so that got me kind of in the circle um, of people working actively on this. Um, when they, they, we finally got images in Antrim, I was not part of the initial capture team. Um, but, and for that reason, um, I was not given access to the images immediately, but eventually you know, the Taperno team uh, reached out to me and asked me if I would do an evaluation of it. And so I have a Cyber Ninjas report up on Matt Taperno's Law's website um, where I use my expertise in the area of application security to show all of the flaws um, that are in the software. And, and specifically, it's like, I, I mean, I, I test applications for a living and I probably have tested or been involved in about three or 4,000 applications, whether that's oversight or directly working in. And it was some of, some of the worst software I'd seen in the way in the design, way it was chosen to be designed um, and just stupid bad programming practices. Um, I don't know if you guys, Joe, do you ever write any code? Mac, no, but, you, I, you but, I'm, but I'm software. I'm a yeah. software architect, so I understand the architecture very well, and I've, I I know what you're about to say. So I'm, I think that people that that aren't that don't understand code are not going to understand. But the people that do understand code are going to become. They're going to go ahead. Go ahead. So I'm just. I'm just. You probably don't know what I'm going to say because I'm not sure if I told this to anyone before. It's a simple thing, and this is not even a security vulnerability. But usually, when you write code. Um, if you want to use OpenSSL, which is a very common library for doing cryptographic functions, if we're doing things like SSL for secure communications, um, you, they actually have code for you to use, open source, that you just import in. In, in the software, in Antrim, that code, actually, they execute an executable on the system rather than calling it via code. And like, this is not like a security vulnerability, it's just an extremely bad practice that you, you would never do. And it gives an indication of the code quality of what, what is actually being used there. Uh, it's just a high level you know, overview. And that's that and many other, I, actually, I'm not sure if that's actually in my report, but there's a lot of other things um, that's on Matt DiPerno's website. So, so. I, I thought you were, yes, I thought you were gonna talk about how the systems interconnect and talk to each other and the number of times that they have to have that conversation over and not have any validation, the pathways don't make any sense to me at all. Pathways for how the system operates don't make any sense. Even if you look through, if you didn't have access to the images and you just look through um, the manuals and all the things that talk about um, the EMS and, and how they even do tabulation, it makes no sense to me. It's, it's just nonsensical. And the solutions that they use, both hardware and software, Although high-speed tabulation systems or high-speed scanners, those are great, um, how they are able to take the information, put it on a thumb, thumb drive, <laughs> and then transmit that, to me, makes zero sense. Zero sense. So, I mean, it, we could sit here and talk about the SQL database. We could talk about all the other things, which I know you're going to talk about in, for, for Maricopa County. The, the, the way that they did it does not surprise me as far as the code quality because the code was mostly built 
in Serbia, mostly. Well, well, yeah, and the code looks like, as is likely the case, that it was something that was written and it was updated and it was updated and it was updated and it was updated over over de- over decades. Um, it was not properly maintained. And I think I think if anything, one of the things that our findings um, in Antrim showed is is a failure of the EAC because the EAC is supposed to be setting guidelines that make sure that our voting software is built up to certain standards. Um, and there's build up standards. One of our recommendations in Maricopa County was that everything would be up to the, the OWASP, which is an organization for secure coding, um, application security verification standard level three, which is defined standard for writing programs properly to make sure that they maintain integrity, the availability um, and the confidentiality of all data. So that was in Antrim County. Let's yeah, fast forward. Let's, so let's, I'm sorry, I got stuck in the story. Yeah, so no, in no. any case, people heard about the work that I did in Antrim. And Senator Fan, I think she says she's not even sure who she heard my name from. Um, but, but in any case, she heard my name from multiple different people, said, hey, this guy has the connections you know, to, to pull this all together. He understands these, these voting machine software to look at it closely. Um, and so I, I happened to be out in Phoenix um, and I had an opportunity. I reached out to him and said, hey, would, would you like me to come over and talk to you? Had an opportunity to, to give a pitch for, for the way I wanted to do an assessment. It was a complete assessment. I approached it from, you know, from my discipline. There's something called threat models, which is where you basically try to enumerate every possible way that something could be attacked um, and then how you would remediate and you would fix it. And so I tried to think what that would look like. And then I tried to take to the next level of what evidence would we need to know if it was exploited. And we tried to design a process around that. And so I presented that idea to, to the Arizona Senate. Um, they, they loved it. Um, I connected, you know, connected very well with them on it. Um, I later found out that they talked to, I think it was about 15 different companies. Um, and only one other comp- company had a, had a, a comprehensive solution. Um, and neither of us had ever fully executed all components of it in one one situation before so it was oh it was all new it was all new for everybody um but we had executed different components of reviewing the software and we had people we brought in who'd done um who had done uh, ballot counting before um cypher had done lots of forensic work before so like we had a very qualified team um in order to go after and to get this work so that's that's how we got it it was after that presentation we had a couple other follow-up presentations and they thought we were the best fit for it um, to kill a little bit of myths here, everyone's like, oh, it's because of partisan connections and, oh, they thought he would manipulate things for you. Let, let me tell you something about me. Um, as Jen Feifel did a story about me, she did actually did a lot of research and she found out that the Republican Party in Sarasota doesn't even know who I am. Okay, I'm not, I'm not politically act- active. My local Republican Party doesn't know me. The one exception is my PR guy who went to church with me, who was a friend with me for years. I've never given any money to any political candidate. I think the closest thing is at one point in time, um, I went and I spent five bucks to be entered in a raffle to have dinner with Trump because I thought that would be really, really cool. And specifically, one of the reasons why I thought it was really cool is like earlier, one of my daughters, when, when I had been interviewed on a local news station, um, she, she thought it was so awesome that I was. She's like, you're so famous. Soon you're going to have dinner with the president. And I was like, wouldn't it be really fun to win this raffle and have, you know, have my daughter's, <laughs> you know, idea to be in there. But like, I've never, I've never talked with Trump. You know, I, I don't have any connections. I tried to volunteer locally 
to be part of the election stuff. And I couldn't get the local representatives to call me back as a volunteer, just to give you how much pull I had in the political sphere leading up to this. Like, so. <laughs> well, it sounds really familiar because I wasn't extremely active in politics at all up until the blow up for me in 2020. I just had had enough. I just had got to the point where no amount of money that I made was going to make it worth sitting on a beach with a Mai Tai while the world burns. And so I, <laughs> I, I remember the day that God woke me up, literally woke me up and said, this is not your path anymore. I need you to do this. And at the same time that was happening, Doug, I was nominated for the second year in a row for Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year. Um, I, I kept going. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of all this, they said, oh, and by the way, now you're a finalist. And I was like, oh, great. And if you walk <laughs> away from this, you'll win. Which would, have mean, which would have meant I would have sold my company for a half a billion dollars. Probably north of that. So I had a choice to make. And you had a choice to make when you got involved in the Maricopa audit. I mean, all the other stuff that led up to that. You try, I'm going to try and help. Nope, can't do that. Right? Closed door, closed door, closed door, closed door. You know what? Those are all really small things, Doug. What I really need you to do is go spend the next five months in Arizona cleaning up this mess. I mean, think about it. That's really what happened. Nope, that's not the battle. Nope, not about not. Nope, nope, nope. You know what? I just want you right here in the middle of the, the eye of the storm. Can you do that for me? <laughs> and, you, and you answered the call. I did. It, it, what's a little bit funny is I, I mentioned earlier how I got involved in, in helping with election integrity stuff earlier. One thing I didn't mention is that pretty much every contribution I had, someone else took credit for it. And God had to use that to humble me where I was, I had, you know, I was like, but why am I not getting credit for what I'm doing? And, and I literally sat there. I was like, Lord, please, Lord, I don't, I don't need credit for any of the work that I'm doing. Can you just let me know that it's going to make an impact and it's going to make a difference? Um, and really, I got to the place where that was really at the center of my heart. And I think that's why this work ended up coming through. But yeah, we, we put put everything on the line. Um, I, I didn't have a $500 billion company, <laughs> you know, you know, type of thing. But, well, uh, and, you know, and it, it doesn't I mean, it doesn't it doesn't mean you do 500 million of revenue. It just means that you have technology that everyone wants. Right. And, and yeah. It, yeah. So it it. Uh, but in, but in answering the call, the, the, the amount of humility that you had going into it, the amount of humility you had coming out of it, I think is, is just a, is a testament to your character. So everyone's asking questions, and, and this is a question that I really want to ask you. What's not in the report, Doug? What's not in the report? That what should are, be in the report. Yeah, what are the in, things in a, that... In, in a perfect world would be there. And I'm talking, I mean, there's some other questions, hard questions I'm going to ask you, but. I, I mean, I think that the biggest thing that's not in the report, because we didn't get any authorization to do it, was was the canvassing. And the canvassing was a very critical component in a complete audit, because there's all sorts of other situations that it captures. Um, for example, um, we went and we counted every single ballot that was brought to us. And we can confirm that those numbers, you know, were substantially the same as what was counted by the Dominion machines. But we don't know if some weren't brought to us. And, and just to be clear, I'm not saying that some weren't brought to us, but like 
our goal when we're trying to measure risk is to be as comprehensive as we can and to eliminate every single possibility. Um, but if we go and we canvas and we ask people who show up as not voting and we say, hey, did you vote? And they say, yes, there may be ballots missing. Um, and it may in fact be and like and that there's so many reasons why that can happen. I, I mean, I think one of the scriptures that God brought to my heart in this is, are you familiar with Isaiah 812? I am. Okay. So do not call conspiracy all these people call conspiracy and do not fear what they fear, um, nor be in dread. Um, and that's, you know, that's when the Lord first brought it to me, I'm like, what are you saying to me? Are you saying there isn't something to find here? Like, and I was almost combative, but then it, it dawned on me that everything in our world right now is a conspiracy theory. Like it's a conspiracy theory that cyber ninjas was there to manipulate the audit results. Okay. We weren't like we were there to find the truth. Um, and everything is that's rolling out of our society right now is conspiracy theory, this conspiracy theory, that, and the fact of the matter is that much of it is not necessarily a conspiracy theory. So like if we're stepping back to our, if ballots are missing, there's a lot of explanations for ballots being missing. Someone could have purposely deleted them. They could have been incompetent and the mailman lost them, not even on purpose. They could have been purposely lost by the mailman. You know, they could have been sorted, seen what the, who they voted for and then destroyed. Like we really don't know. Um, but Liz Harris did do an independent audit and she found that over 30% of the people who show us not voting in the election um, say they voted. Now that's significant. Um, now to me, that messes with my mind because every statistic we have here on this election is that it, it broke the mold for how many people showed up to vote. Like every statistic is, wait, no, we've got 200, 300,000 more people who voted in this County than should have voted, or at least, you know, it's anomalous, you know, it's what, what is normal in it. And yet now we have, you're telling me based on the statistics that another 200,000 people, potentially Maricopa County may have cast a vote and we don't know where their votes are. Um, so that, I mean, it, it, it stretches your mind and makes you wonder. And so canvassing helps identify stuff like that. Canvassing also identifies the reverse of it. You know, when people show us voted and they didn't actually vote. Um, and I, from understanding Liz Harris's stuff, they didn't find a lot of that, but they found some of that. Um, and then the result, a lot of, Hey, we can't find this voter at this address. Um, now I would have liked that to be a part of our official audit rather than having another group do it because it would have made it much easier to tie all the results together. It would have been a complete package. I could have personally attested to every last little bit of the quality control, um, and that if the stats were done right and that information. And so that was, that's probably one of the biggest things I think is missing from our report. Um, from a, from besides that, from other standpoint, I think we've got one finding at the end that's that's uh, talks about questionable ballots. Um, we had the over the course of the revisions, the the instances from that finding were removed. Um, so like the finding is still there, but the the details and instances of that were removed. All right, so um, talk, I think that's talk, the, talk to us about that. Was that a negotiation with the the Arizona Senate? <laughs> I that 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 was um, and and that. Yes, it, it essentially was. Let, let, let me step okay, back. Okay, I, I was yes or I no, got, Doug. That was yes or no. I, 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 I got to I got to give a precursor on that. Okay. I got to set this up, and I got to got to have everybody understand this. Um, so the last two weeks before we delivered our report, or before we actually had the hearing, um, I did six all nighters working on everything. I slept on average four or five hours of night of sleep. 
before that, you know, on any of the other nights in it, it was hardcore, get this done, vet things, make sure that anything we can't prove isn't in there and go through it. And part of that process was meeting with the Senate. There were some changes of language and everything. But when we finally got to the night before the hearing, I messed up. I laid down for a second and I fell asleep and I slept all night and I was supposed to finish the final revisions of that report that went through. So I woke up in the morning, everyone was upset. We need to get this report out that day when the hearing was going on. It was my fault. I had screwed up. Um, so as part of those, there were some final revisions that the, the Senate attorney proposed forwards. And I accepted the majority of those in the sake of getting time out. Um, and most of those were all minor things that I don't think substantially changed the report and really didn't matter. The one thing that I would have left in had I, you know, had I been more carefully thinking about things, were the instances for that finding? Um, and it's, it's, um, there's, there's two things in the finding. Um, we had ballots that were missing, um, what they called with the MIC code. I actually forget what it stands it's like machine identification code, code, I think is what it's called. Um, and we had found, you know, we, we had manually found roughly a hundred of those. Um, we also had ballots that were, that we could tell were not printed from the original PDF, um, that our Dominion images on them. Um, so specifically to, to give you an illustration, you have the oval, the oval for, for, um, for a vote. Um, and in this, these particular ovals, they had gaps in them at the same exact spots as if they had been from like a bad photocopy had been created from. Yeah. And when you look at both of these, you go, oh my gosh, these are a huge deal. Like what's going on? These are fraudulent ballots. But we actually, we wanted to be sure. So we went back to these ballots and specifically we took a look at the presidential race and for the hundred on the MIC code, that's not a large enough sample to tell for sure, but there was no preference to one presidential candidate or the other that stood out. Um, same thing when we took a look at the other ones and we actually, over the course of, I think it was about 15,000 of those that we found, there was no preference to one presidential candidate or not. They matched the statistics of what you would expect from one candidate to the next. I can't in good faith call anything fake or counterfeit if it doesn't manipulate the results. You know, so I would have kept those instances in so they could be looked at even further. But as far as from my standpoint, the reason why I was, I didn't think it was that big of a deal is because um, at the end of the day, it didn't seem to prove any fraud, but that's just looking at the, in the presidential race. We did, we didn't, there was not enough time to look at all the down ballot or every last thing in it. And so there should be more looking add- into that. We'll, we'll, we'll give that to the AG to look into more. Yeah. Yeah. Going to take a real quick break and, and remind everyone this podcast is sponsored by Air Med Care Network. Air Med Care Network, the premier insurance plan to cover you and your family should any of you ever need to be airlifted to a hospital for medical reasons. We don't get to choose how we go to the hospital, where or, or when a disaster strikes. And you'd be shocked to learn just how many people are airlifted from the suburbs or even the cities just because traffic is really bad. It's expensive. Different parts of the country can cost 40, 50, upwards of 60 grand in some cases to get airlifted to a hospital. But when you sign up with Aramid Care Network, you won't pay one penny for that flight as long as you're flown by an AMCM provider. It starts at just $85 a year. That covers your whole household. It's less if you're a senior citizen. It works out to be less per year if you buy three or five years at a time. So go to the link in our description, airmedcarenetwork.com forward slash daily and use promo code daily. They're going to give you up to $50 back. So let me ask you this, because you just mentioned that there wasn't a clear um, it wasn't clear whether those ballots preferred one candidate over another. Um, We haven't seen anything related to what different findings where those voters, how those voters voted. So if you go to my screen real quick, 
This is from the official um, report. We'll talk about the draft report a little later. Do you have anything you can tell us about what the whether these kind of leaned one way or another in terms of who they voted for? So like this one at the top, mail-in ballots, ballots voted from a prior address, 23,344. One of the things that the left, that Democrats were putting out after this broke was that, hey, even if they didn't vote from a prior address, you can't prove that that impacted the election. Just because it exceeded the margin of victory doesn't mean that they all voted for Biden. Is there anything you can share with us about these different trouble categories? Did any of them pop up as being overwhelmingly voting for one candidate or another? So once the ballot is separated from its envelope, there's no way to track it back to the ballot. So I can't tell you who those 23,000 people voted for. But what I can tell you is those 23,000 people, I can tell you what party they were a part of. And if you take a look at, if you actually scroll down to the actual finding, you'll see that we actually have a party breakdown between them. And it's across the board. You know, it's, it's not any one party. So if these are individuals cast in ballots, you know, there's, there's a slightly more for the Democratic Party in, the, in that breakout than there is for the Republican Party. But, it, you know, it's, it's not, you know, it's not a huge difference. But here's the thing that we don't know about. Like, if these are all these individuals that moved and they somehow got a copy of their ballot and they voted, the probability is pretty good that they got it by going to the house and picking it up, which if they still live in the county, that's perfectly legitimate and legal. And if they live within the state, it's technically illegal, but is it that big of a deal? If it's the actual person's vote, assuming they didn't vote anywhere else, you know, is it that big of a deal? I don't know. But what we don't know here is, is that 23,000 a representative of, let's just take a hypothetical situation here. And again, I'm not saying this, this happened. We have no proof that this happened. We don't have the data that this happened, but part of my job is to enumerate threats. So let's assume that these mail-in ballots were mailed to these individuals and like they're supposed to, the, the user, the person was no longer there and they were returned to sender. Okay, so they all returned to center and they all went back to a mailbox. Now we found out that it's actually at the airport. There's a mailbox. The Maricopa County person will go and pick up those ballots. So the individual goes to that mailbox and they picks them up. Rather than take them to Runbeck, where they're supposed to be processed to encounter it in some manner, which we never got any data on that on that return data, but it's supposed there's supposed to be some process in that. They go and they take them to some warehouse where people fill them out and mail them in. Okay, they now get mailed in and they came from Joe Smith and they came from Sally Smith and they came from all these 23,000, but in fact, it wasn't those individuals that went through. Now, if this happened, your expectation would be that now the signatures would be messed up and it would be caught at the signatures side of things. Um, as we can see from Dr. Shiva's report, there was a lot of questionable stuff about the signatures. So do you really know that those would or wouldn't? Um, and so the, that I feel like, like, when we hand this over to the attorney general, that is the sort of stuff that I'm expecting him to drill into and to look into. I'm expecting him to call a good sampling of these 23,000 people and say, hey, did you actually vote? How did you get your ballot? And if all of them say, you know, actually, you know, I went and uh, I went by the place and picked it up or, you know, my friend was there and they gave it to me or whatever, then we've got a legit situation that isn't as big of a deal. Um, but like some of the criticisms for this specific finding, they said is, hey, you know, you guys are wrong because this is college students, this is snowbirds that are out of town, and this are, these are military people, okay? Those are the three things they told me. Well, they didn't read our finding very closely. 
because one of the things we went through is this number was originally 26,000 something, um, but we heard the, that critique and we said, hmm, that's true, that could be legit. Like if I'm a college student and I do a, do a forward, you know, then legitimately, you know, it could go through and we don't want any fake information here. We want to eliminate everything we can. So how can we eliminate that? Well, at the end of the day, if I'm a college student off in college or just moving out and I need to forward my, you know, get my ballot because my parents still live there, I'm going to have the same last name as them, right? If I'm a snowbird and I'm out of town, it's going to be my name associated with that address still. It's not going to be someone else's name, you know, yeah. so, you know, we'll have that. So we ran after we came to got these 23,000 or 26,000, we ran a check on them. We said, okay, how many of these was it the same last name, you know, that remained at that address afterwards? Because that's a reasonable assumption as to whether you get the yeah. ballot. And that's how we dropped from the 26,000 down to the 23,000 is because it took out about 3,000 of them because they didn't have the same last name. So now college students doesn't make sense. Um, and now um, snowbirds doesn't make sense to explain those the situations. You still might have friends with the owner, but the last one is military. Does military make sense? And when I took a look at those, legitimately, um, there are 1,344 of those 23,000. I'd looked at this after the election for some of the critique um, that are UACAVA. Now, they are, those are military persons who have the ability to vote overseas. And so they, they can vote in addition to the mail-in ballot. They can also vote via email, via fax, via upload into a portal. And that all the three of those would show in the records as being mail-in ballots. So really that number should be 1,344 lower um, than it should because military was a legitimate argument against it. But any way you look at it, that's still 22,000. Still. Okay. That's still, still a significant number. And so the attorney general needs to look into in this and drill into this and figure out what the deal is. But I can't tell you right now that this is definitely fraud or definitely not fraud. Um, I can tell you that it's highly suspicious and it needs to be looking to the end. Now, if I was allowed to do canvassing, one of the things we do with canvassing is we'd knock on at least a couple thousand of these doors and we'd ask them and we'd ask trends and we'd find out, well, you know, we did in fact, you know, you know, we did in fact get our votes. We, we had an NCOA, it was delivered to this address. So um, US Postal Service has natural change of address form. You know, it's when you mm -hmm. go there and fill out and say, I moved. And just to be clear, when we're saying people moved, we're, we're querying a database that is looking for NCOA. So it's not just, hey, I'm not here. It's, hey, I filled out a form saying I'm not here and we're forwarding our mail. That's a lot more precise than they're trying to make it sound in, in our stuff. Like that's very precise. Um, you said if you could have canvassed, the, the, I guess the main reason you weren't allowed to canvass stems from this letter, which was from the DOJ Civil Rights Division to the Arizona yeah. State Senate saying that they, ha they had a problem with you canvassing, your people canvassing, because, quote, past experience with similar investigative efforts around the country has raised concerns that they can be directed at minority voters, which potentially can implicate the anti-intimidation pro prohibitions of the Voting Rights Act. Such investigative efforts can have a significant intimidating effect on qualified voters that can deter them from seeking to vote in the future. Just, do, I, do, I you know that, do you know what that act is called? That, that act yeah. was actually put in place for the KKK. That is referred yeah. to as the KKK Act. Yeah. So yes, so do I you can't canvass because of the KKK Act. Do you want to respond I, to that? I mean, basically saying you can't canvass because you're too racist. No, no, that's, that's not. Listen, listen, listen. That you would let's, discriminate let's, against. I, guys, we're going down a rabbit. Hole. We're going down a rabbit hole, and I want to, I want to, I want to talk about the things that we do know, right? And yeah. so, one of the reasons why I believe they chose you, Doug, is because when they ask you the question, "Is there fraud?" 
and you say, well, we can't figure it out because we don't have this or we don't have this. So now I'm going to just ask you some pointed questions that are, it's going to kind of pigeonhole you a little bit. Okay. <laughs> uh, thanks, Joe. <laughs> uh, but, but, but I think that it's important because we, we, we start talking about the chaos and we start talking about all the things that, that are being done that stop you from getting to definitive. I mean, you have a lot of things that are coincidental that, that are circumstantial, right? You'd say, well, that's circumstantial. And then you have 20 things that are circumstantial. So let me just get to asking you a simple question. Were you given access to the routers? No, sir. Okay. Why do you think they did not give you access to the routers? There, there's a lot of different reasons why that, that could be the case. My, I think my, my personal hunch, um, and this, this could be right or this could be wrong, and we'll talk about some of the other options, is um, there was actually um, a breach around November of the voter roll system that the FBI investigated. Um, and it's, it's my wonder and my suspicion as to whether that breach was wider than they originally talked about and whether they thought we might find that in the, in the rolls. Because for me, from my standpoint, when they originally came out and talked to us they, and they delivered everything, they said, yep, we're gonna give you the Splunk logs that have all the details on it. We're gonna give you virtual access to the router. It was all planned. And then over the course of, I think it was the next week, it suddenly changed. And so for, I go, well, what changed in that standpoint? Because if you're just trying to say from a legal standpoint, you weren't going to give it, you'd walk in the first day with the same exact story that you keep in the last day. So the only thing I can think of would be they found something in that data that they didn't want us to find. And that's why they changed their viewpoint of what was, what was going to happen, what was going to go on. Now that's nothing but speculation. Um, there did, is did it affect your ability? Did it affect your ability to get to the bottom of the fraud? Uh, it absolutely prevented our, our ability um, to take a look at the voting machines and figure out what's going on. Specifically, um, Ben Cotton had some concerning findings related with strange anonymous logins, um, where they don't follow the pattern of where anonymous logins normally are done in a Windows domain, um, and they could represent some way of remote access to the machine. And with those logs, we could validate whether that remote access was local or where that remote access was something over the internet and it could modify and could change things. Um, so yes, it absolutely limited our ability to, to rule things out. And specifically, they're, they're limit out the, you know, potentially additional data that could have shown if there was any internet activity. Okay. So no access to the routers. Yes, sir. Right. Okay. Is I'm going to kind of walk through this stuff because I think this is important. Were election files deleted? Absolutely. A whole bunch of them. All right. Was, was 50%, 60%, 40%? What percentage of election files were deleted? So I don't know the percentage off of the, the files deleted. I know it was, it was, I want to say it was five or 6,000 different files were removed. Um, from, but from the corrupt images standpoint, we, I think it was, was 260,000 roughly images that were corrupt and another 30,000 on top of that um, that were that were not missing, that did not, you know, were not present on the actual voting machine. What, what does the law state as it relates to preserving information on a election? <laughs> so the law states that they need to preserve information for 22 months. But okay. here, here, here's the deal on that. If they have a backup copy of that, they could be in compliance with the law from that law standpoint. What is a bigger deal is the subpoena. 
Yeah. Like well, that's where potentially the law was broken is because if they have their own copy of it, they're in compliance with the 22 months and all indications are they actually have their own backup. They just didn't give it to us. Um, but if they're, if they are deleting data that was covered under the subpoena, that's a whole nother question. Um, and, and based on my analysis and opinion, the data that was deleted was specifically listed in the subpoena and should not have been. Um, but again, that's something for the attorney general to fully confirm, um, and to validate. All right. Um, so the corrupted ballot images, you talk about, I mean, in this case, it, it looks like it shows 13.61% of the ballot images were corrupted. Now, those were stored in what's called a TIFF file. Is that correct? Correct. All right. So, so I know about TIFF files. You know about TIFF files. Relatively simple, simple file format. What would it take to corrupt those images? <laughs> I've been trying to figure that out. And the best answer I have for that is probably not an answer you're going to like. Um, so if, remember, if, if we step back to uh, February 1st, I think it was, um, someone on the EMS server ran the purge command from within the election software, um, specifically for the 2020 election. Um, that command deletes all the files on the file system associated with the election. It deletes the whole NAS directory. And it also clears the database and gets everything on the database. Every single imported stuff in it clears that database. Okay, so that was deleted and that was there. Now, when we act, when uh, Ben actually assembled the RAID and put things through, um, the images on the NAS directory, it's my understanding, I don't believe that was something he had to restore. I might have to go back and double check that. I believe that was something that was on there, which means at some point in time, after the fact those files were removed, someone went and did a restore. I think the simplest answer is that that restore was not done cleanly and did not fully recover the files because they, they did try to do an undelete on the file restore rather than pulling stuff from backup. Um, but otherwise, you'd have to write a script that modified things. You'd have to, like, I don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And why why those versus other images, I don't know. So Right. Um, was there any ballots that lacked received entry records? So, yes, yeah, so you're talking about the EB32s, the EB33 yes. stuff now. Um, so, so yes, there were some that, that so let's, let's go explain those real quick for those who didn't watch the hearing so they have some background. Um, so every time a mail-in ballot is sent to an individual, there's an EB32 entry, which is just what Maricopa County calls it. Um, it gives the name, it gives the address, it gives their mailing address, and it gives the date that stuff was sent. And I think there's a few other details in it, but that's what's in the EB32 entry. Every single time, um, and EB stands for early voting. Um, so if you're gonna send something out, it has to be mail-in. Now on the EB33 side of things, um, that's early voting, and that means early voting received. And you get an EB33 entry every single time that you have a mail-in you know, mail ballot is received, or if you show up in person, you print out a ballot and you fill it out. Now, that information as to which way you cast your vote, whether it was via mail-in or whether it was in person, isn't actually in the EB33. Um, but it is, in fact, included in the final voted file or the VM55, which gives a list of everyone who voted. One of the things in there is their voting method. So if you actually go and you connect the voter ID from the EB33 file and you connect it with the voter ID of the VM55 file, you can tell which way people voted and how they cast their vote. Um, so yes, there was a small number of people that returned votes via mail-in um, where there was no record of something being out, sent out to them. 
and probably more anomalous to me that really blows my mind is there's a decent percent, decent number of people, and I don't have the numbers, we'd have to pull up the report on it, where they were sent one ballot, but somehow a, a ballot was received from them on two different dates. And I don't know exactly why that happens. And, I, and obviously, you know, the, the assumption would be the first one that's received would be the one that is counted. Um, um, that, that would be the assumption of things. I'm not saying things were double counted, but how is it that you have that? You know, it's got to be a clerical error or some other problem the way things were, were set up so, uh, or, or be some type of person messing with details. So, so, so let, let's, let's ask the next question, which is the ballots were get brought to you, right? So you have these ballots that were brought to for the audit. Were they sealed? <laughs> no. No, no, they, they weren't weren't sealed. Um, in, in fact, one you know, thing I just was, get to the basics. I'm just trying to get to the bottom <laughs> of all this. So I'm going to put all this together in a little document for everyone so they understand that my my goal is not may, maybe necessarily to get you to spit out. I'm going to ask you your opinion, but to, to to get to a definitive on everything based upon a I did the best I could with what they gave me, and they took out all these parts. I want to get to the details that, that are causes for decertification. And, you know, we already know that they had the ballots from November all the way till April, till you got them. And then those ballots showed up to you. So w tell me how. Well, how let, let's start with what, what matters in that. So we requested the chain of custody of the ballots before they got to us okay. to show that they were completely under control before they received to us. All right. There's been all sorts of accusations that we violated the chain of custody. That's total, total bulldinky. Um, if you take 24-7 video surveillance, sign in and out everything. But in any case, so let's go through. So that we weren't provided with a chain of custody to prove where they went and how they went. And specifically, like one of the items we wanted to really look at is, remember that day they took the picture of the six pallets sitting on a truck? Mm -hmm. We're like, yeah. do we have a chain of custody entry for those? We really want to see who signed those out and who signed those in. You know, yeah. that, that'd be you know really interesting to figure that out. So no, we don't have a chain of custody. Um, in addition... So there's um, no the chain Ventura, of custody. You have no chain of custody. No chain of custody was provided to us. Um, they may or may not have their own chain of custody. We can't say that, but no chain of custody was provided to us. Okay. When the ballots received to us, um, all of them, except for 52 boxes had been part of a hand count, um, did not have tamper-resistant tape on them. So it was your your standard box tape that was on that. Um, and when we opened up the boxes, they were, they were not sealed in ballot bags. Um, they were... They were all in stacks um, with a, you know, they had a separator. Most of them had a separator within them, but a lot of them didn't have a separator within them. Um, with that separator was supposed to be a batch sheet that told you the batch number. It was there, I'd say, you know, most of the time, but not all the time. Sometimes those batch sheets were in the, on the side. Sometimes there was no separator, so we couldn't tell one batch from the other. Sometimes, you know, there weren't any batch sheets, so we couldn't tell things apart. Um, so there's a lot of things in there that we made it very difficult for us to attribute. I mean, a lot of people, one of the, the criticisms that someone's put out there is like, why didn't you match up batch by batch to the Dominion machines? Like, we can't even tell you for sure batch by batch per on every box. We can do it on a lot of them, but we can't do it on every single box. Um, okay, so the 52, they did a hand count. Those were sealed. Those had tamper-resistant tape on them, correct. And, and all the other boxes were not sealed. Correct. And specifically that hand count, this will love you, it's part of their, their, their risk limit and audit. They pre-picked the boxes before the election was over and marked them for the hand count to validate things. 
before okay. before the election was done. Okay, so they pre-picked. They pre-picked. By the way, if you were if you were testifying in front of the House Committee, they would have questions for you that would not expose any of this. So as people, as I sit here and say, hey, people, share this. Um, they, it's really important that they understand the details that don't come out that actually I think matter. And what we're not trying to do is screen from the highest building. We're trying to say that you violated the public trust. When you violate public trust, then you can't certify the election. You, you can't certify a fraud because you've kept us away from the images. You, half of them are corrupted. And by the way, if you have another copy of it, why didn't you provide it? So there's no transparency. The ballots were all mixed up. I, I believe that there was a ballot box with over 300 precincts in one ballot box. Is that correct? Uh, I don't know that number offhand, but that, that sounds like something I've heard before. I, do, I don't want to misspeak. So I, I believe that's accurate, but I'm not positive. So they, they fought it, 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 fought it. Finally, they say, okay, we're going we're gonna to let you do this audit. You do the audit. And then you get ballot boxes to start with, with no chain of custody, no dividers. That's not true. Some had separators. Some didn't have separators. Bat sheets were not there. More had separators that didn't. I don't want to try to suggest it, but there was, you know, it was not insignificant the number of times we ran into that stuff. Okay. They ignored subpoenas, right? I mean, I haven't even gotten to the, the juicy part. I think this is a juicy part, but... All of this, and yet you have the mainstream media says nothing to see here. These are not the droids you're looking for. Am I am I am I accurate? Is it is that a, an accurate assessment? That that is an accurate assessment. Okay. Whew. Okay. Sorry, I'm just monitoring the hearing at the moment. Um, you, you you didn't miss a whole lot. It's, it's going pretty much exactly as we expected it would go. You mean the dog and pony um, show of nothing? The nothingness? Yeah. 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 yeah I, just I mean, the big, a, big question is how many times was I thrown under the bus? Oh, a ton. <laughs> What's the current tally? A ton. What's the current tally? <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm, having, I'm trying to like listen to both and uh, <laughs> a lot, a lot. Um, I just sent over Ms. Producer a brief clip. Um, of it pretty much shows how it's going, how the Democrats are trying to um, paint it. They're trying to paint it the way the media did that. Oh, you worked for all of these months and you, your top line conclusion was that Joe Biden won again. And he's the it, only president ever. That's to, not true. That was not, that was not, I, I know. That, I'm we're going to ask you that true. question. That's the narrative. That's the narrative they're putting out there. So Mr. Producer, I just sent that over on, uh, over our chat uh, channel. Please get it ready and we'll play it as soon as we can. But that, that is the, that's the narrative that they're putting together. And to his credit, uh, Congressman Biggs took him a task on it and said, you know, you know damn well, basically, that that's not what the audit was about. So there's a lot of bickering going on right now. So, so, so listen, uh, the reason why I'm, I'm walking you down this path is that I, I prepared to, to have you on here to, to speak about the things that were happening. And I, and I want to I get to the bottom of, you know, the, of all of it. And I want to hear from your perspective. Obviously, you have a family. Were you threatened? I, I was never threatened of bodily harm. But yes, at various different points in time, different people said things like, you better do this this way or you're never going to receive another dollar of funding. Or if you don't do it this way, you might actually, you know, had people sue you. Um, 
at one point in time, um, it was interpreted that, uh, that uh, my, my contract allowed the Senate to make changes. And therefore, if I refused them, it was a breach of contract. And that was suggested by one of their attorneys. Okay, um, so, but in, so- in, all, in all cases, I told them, go jump in a lake, you know, and I stuck to, to what I thought was important. And like I tried to work with with what language I thought would meet their concerns, but not compromise, you know, what I thought compromised the integrity of the report. So, okay. so, so did the did the Senate attorney threaten you? I, I would I would say I would say I interpreted what he said as a threat. I would say yes. Okay. You know when he's you know I would I would interpret that that way. Okay. So the but that's going to be the big like news thing here, and I, I think no, that's, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's I, not. I think that's a no, little bit not. out of context. So. Listen, I, I think that I think we have to get to the fact that was the Arizona Senate were they present? Were they walking through and and watching the audit be done uh, day by day? They had liaisons that were present every single day. The senators okay. themselves were not. But your job was to create findings, correct? Correct. And they wanted to change the verbiage of those findings. Yeah, I have to um, walk this back some. Like, okay. I, I understand where you're trying to lead this, but I have to give some context here. All right. So, you know, the, at the end of the day, I want the results of my report to be accurately represented for what they suggest and what they don't suggest. Okay. I am, I am not a political person. I have a much better idea now as to what's going to be misinterpreted one way or another than I did before. But the Bible's very clear that, that it's prudent to get advice from individuals who've gone before you. And the Senate was given advice of ways to go before, before me. Now that you don't always agree with every last little bit. And we worked that out, but like that okay. process, of us going through and revising and working through the report is a good process and it was a good intention. Did I have a few heated conversations with their attorney? Absolutely. You know, absolutely. Do I feel like that compromised the report? No, I don't. Do I think that he stepped a little bit above across the line as where he should have? I do. But do I buy this whole narrative that every that people are talking about now, him being an evil person and circumvent everything? I, I don't know. I'm skeptical on that. I think he okay. was doing his best to protect his client, which is his job to do. And yes, maybe he went across, but that's not, that's a different thing. You know, that's a different thing. And um, I didn't get that far to just buckle with people. Like the thing is like, it's like, it wasn't going to go to the very, very end and just decide that we're going to do something that's going to make a significant difference to, to, to the, to the report. So that is what I wanted people to hear. Okay. That. <laughs> There is no wrong answer, Doug. I think that the wrong answer is that the mainstream media and these guys get to spin the story. They get to spin whatever they want. Truth doesn't matter to them. It's a 15-second it's a TikTok video, right? It has nothing to do with truth or reality. I like accountability. I like to be transparent. I think that the American people deserve, you know, 35, 40% of the American people's pay. That they, the first four months of the year, that they work, 100% of the money that they make for the first four months of the year goes directly to the government. The first four months. So I, I think the transparency, they're owed it, but that's not what's happening. They're being treated like slaves. They're being treated like they don't matter. They're being treated as if they're the royal subjects and that they can be treated any way that they want. And so it's important to me to get to the, the, 
the who is who. Like, who did it? Who done it? Who did it? You know, we have people over here that are mathematicians working on the math. We have you working on the audit here. Uh, the report that you wrote back in, in uh, uh, for Antrim County was very sharp. It was a sharp report, <laughs> right? It's a very sharp report. The findings in these four volumes, I think, indicate that at, a, at the worst, the public trust has been breached. Or at, at the least, it's been breached. At the worst, based on all these coincidences, you know, obviously, I know that there's fraud. I'm a math guy. But they kept you from getting to the basic information that lets you read a full conclusion with integrity. And the reason why they chose you is because you have integrity. And if you leave those parts out, you can't definitively at 100% say anything. And that's what they wanted. In my opinion, that's what they wanted. I don't know who the, who the they is you're speaking about. I think that's the problem. We haven't figured out who's I mean, playing for what team. That That's the question. And, and like, I don't know. I've, one of the, the, the most difficult things in going through all this election integrity stuff across the way is the number of people who automatically assume, okay, well, that person's working for the CIA. Okay, well, that person's working for this. You know, okay, well, that person's working against us. At the end of the day, there's a lot, everybody has different motives to go through. And there are evil people out there. There absolutely are evil people out there, but there's many more that just have motivations that are not 100% alignment in what we're doing. And they get distracted at times by other things that are going on. And I, I, think, I think it's important to keep that in mind when we're evaluating the situation is they're entirely complicated. And yes, there probably are you know, evil people trying to do evil things. And the vast majority of them are operating off of misinformation or misdata. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I said, hey, I wanted to talk to you when I thought you had the misinformation. I think that's one of the key things we need to learn in this is to go directly to the source. When, you know, when they say this, like if I'd gone to this hearing and they heard awful things about me, I'd hope someone would go watch the hearing and see what I actually said. You know, if, if you hear someone, if it's a friend of yours is accused of something, I hope you go talk to the friend directly. You know, it's, it's about going directly to the source, the primary source of that information. Hello, I'm Mike Bendell, inventor of MyPillow. Thanks to your support, you've helped make MyPillow become one of the fastest growing companies in America. Over the last 12 years, you've helped MyPillow create thousands of jobs right here in the USA. When I got MyPillow, I'm asleep almost immediately. I stay asleep at night and I wake up more well-rested in the morning. That's why I invented MyPillow. My patented fill adjusts to your exact individual needs and helps keep your neck supported and aligned. I'm interrupting this commercial right now. Retailers have canceled my pillow. And to thank you for your support, I'm gonna pass the savings directly on to you. Go to mypillow.com right now to get deep discounts on all my pillow products. For example, you can get my premium my pillows regularly $69.98, now just $29.98, the lowest price ever. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit MyPillow.com. That's it for part one of our interview with the CEO of Cyber Ninjas, Doug Logan. Stay tuned and make sure you listen in to part two coming up next.